It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Donald Trump follows precedent for a change and pardons the annual Thanksgiving turkey. Uh, Apparently wasn't going to do it, but then his aides convinced him that the best way to keep the turkey's mouth shut about what it knows about Ukraine was to give it a pardon. Like the rest of the criminals, he'll be doing that too. On a humorous side note, the released turkey was sent back to the wild where it has died due to Donald Trump's environmental policies. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal, and welcome to our, as promised, follow-up show on the impeachment hearings. But first, as long as we're on the subject of pardons, real quickly before we get into impeachment, speaking of pardons, President Trump is finally at war. Yes, the man who has shirked his war duties while he was subject to being drafted is now at war with the United States Navy. Yes, the president who has pardoned murderers and war criminals wearing uniforms and people who have lied to cover up their crimes, exposing the United States military personnel to possible danger. The first modern president to pardon a person convicted of war crimes. A man who is undermining the U.S. military and the pillars on which it rests and which give it its legitimacy worldwide. Going against the wishes of the military itself, pardoning its criminals. This week, countermanding a decision of the U.S. Navy, Donald Trump reversed the demotion of Chief Petty Officer Edward Gallagher, who had been the subject of a high-profile war crimes trial. And yes, in doing so, Donald Trump made sure that murderers in American uniforms remain on the public dole without having their pensions and their military benefits ever threatened. That Mr. Trump would pardon men accused of uh, or convicted of war crimes should come as little surprise, as was pointed out by commentators, given that he campaigned on promises to torture the nation's enemies and kill their families. So I guess American soldiers engaging in, yes, torture, sound familiar, Bush supporters? Engaging in in torture and war crimes are being pardoned by the President of the United States. Can anyone out there say Nazis? Anyway, let's talk about impeachment. Impeachment trial went public over the last couple of weeks, and I'd like to talk first about some of my takeaways from the impeachment trial, uh, from the impeachment hearings that we were privy to. First off, um, the first thing that comes to my mind and I want to share is, is how much was left out of these impeachment discussions and the impeachment of the president of the United States. This was my show last week in kind of a humorous vein, but this is a good time to remind everybody that we are really limiting what we are looking at when it comes to the overwhelming crimes of this president of the United States. And what does it say about this country that we're not talking about Russia, we're not talking about so many of his obvious crimes, and we're cutting many of these investigations short? What does it say about this country that we're doing this because we don't think the American public has a sufficient attention span to follow a long trial of the impeachment of the crimes of the president of the United States? 
and also that the American public does not has the, have the sophistication or the knowledge to actually understand anything that is a little more complicated than the most obvious and basic things that have become apparent during the uh, impeachment hearings on Ukraine itself and withholding military aid, extorting and bribing Ukraine. But it also, the fact that we're focused so narrowly in the Democratic impeachment investigation, what it says about how bad this actually was, how bad what Trump has done with Ukraine, and how dangerous this was to the United States and to United States interests. This was pointed out by one of the witnesses, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, a strong and independent Ukraine is critical to U.S. national security interests. It was pointed out repeatedly during the hearings that Ukraine is basically at war on our behalf with Russia. Uh-oh, that might explain why Trump's not a big fan. But in fact, Ukraine has been described as the front lines in our cold-slash-hot war against Russia. We had ample testimony that people are dead. Lots of Ukrainians are dead because of Trump's policy in, in withholding military equipment and undermining our ally. People have died. We learned how dangerous this was by the people who are speaking out most reluctantly or at least not initially of their own volunteering, but speaking out about the dangers posed to this country and our policy. We had testimony after testimony about how career officials reacted in horror to what the President of the United States was doing in real time. We were just treated in the last couple of days with the knowledge that two budget aides, apparently, in the Office of Management and Budget under Donald Trump, turns out quit while the Ukraine uh, invest, uh, while the U- Ukraine scandal was going on, while Trump's actions in withholding the military funding was, were going on. They quit because of how bad they felt this policy to be and how awful it was on behalf of the United States of America. So when you hear the excuses being made and thrown out there by Trump's lackeys and supporters, just keep in mind that one thing that anyone who paid attention to these hearings have learned is just how awful the President of the United States' actions were. What else we learned from these impeachment hearings, real quickly, is how much of a slam dunk this impeachment is. There is the proverbial smoking gun. There is actually a confession by the defendant, the President of the United States. If we had live stream video of the President committing these crimes, the evidence would be more, wouldn't be more conclusive than it is right now. This is an absolute slam dunk. The President committed many impeachment-worthy crimes. As pointed out by one of his supporters, Gordon Sondland, the guy testifying for the third time trying to get it right because every time he's lied before, he's been shown to be lying and uh, had to cover his ass. So reluctantly turning against his boss, Sondland made it perfectly clear that he actually was there to hear the quid pro quo. There was a, quote, clear quid pro quo for a White House meeting, at least, between Mr. Trump and Ukraine's president. Sondland testified to this reluctantly. Other witnesses, like David Holmes, who heard the Trump say it, um, Bill Taylor, as we've talked about before, 
um, uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch, people with firsthand or sometimes secondhand accounts about the President of the United States trying to engage in these crimes and then cover up these crimes. A series of witnesses all confirmed Trump's impeachable behavior. Again, many of those, some of those witnesses at least, were GOP witnesses that were there doing everything they can to try to cover the president's back and yet, after their testimony, simply putting another nail in what should be the president's coffin. What was also made clear through the impeachment hearings, a little more disturbingly, is how broadly President Trump's impeachable activities were known in our government and how broadly they were reviled. And yet, how close he was to getting away with it. That with all the testimony from these witnesses who knew what was going on, we're still left with the impression that if it wasn't for the whistleblower, still unnamed, we may never be doing any of this. And all of this may have been swept quietly under the rug. It is, again, a reminder that it is scary to think about what Donald Trump continues to be getting away with what he continues to be able to cover up, what has not come to public light among his constitutional violations and criminal activities. I'd like to, talking about uh, what the president has done and what we learned from the impeachment hearings, I'd like to clear something up that we've been talking about and that's been floating about in, uh, in our media. The idea of the quid pro quo, way back when, when this started, I pointed out that a quid pro quo wasn't even necessary. Well, it turns out that, of course, quid pro quo was one of those things that Trump was trying to focus on with the idea that making the focus, as he had in the Russia investigation on quid pro quo, would basically allow him to be absolved for all of the crimes that he did commit. Only in this case, it turns out there really was a quid pro quo. But that's also, as we learned during the hearings, very misleading about his criminal behavior. <clears throat> his criminal activities and, and unconstitutional activities were not about quid pro quo. They were, and let's be clear to call them what they were, extortion and bribery. Just to make sure that everybody's clear on what those things are and what the differences are, extortion is effectively when you put a gun against somebody's head and you get something, some benefit from somebody as a result of a threat, like putting a gun against somebody's head. Put put a gun against somebody's head, in this case, Ukraine, the president of Ukraine, and say that unless you announce this bogus investigation of my possible uh, presidential opponent, uh, I will withhold almost $400 million of military funding that has already been approved by Congress that is in the United States' interests and that will allow you to defend Ukraine <laughs> it's, excuse me, in its war against Russia. That's extortion. The president clearly engaged in extortion. He also ex- engaged in bribery. Bribery is a little bit different than extortion. Uh, bribery is when you get a favor from somebody by promising a favor in return. It's not a threat. It is the promise of a favor. I have talked about the distinction between these two things in our campaign finance context. So something that Republicans especially know very, very well. Promising a big donor that you will give them millions of dollars of federal funding is bribery. 
threatening them with never being able to get a contract in the future unless they give you money is extortion. So the Republicans have a lot of history with bribery and extortion. When it came to bribery, Donald Trump did commit that as well. The promise of a White House meeting with the President of the United States in return to it for an investigation, that was bribery. So withholding military aid, that was extortion. Promising a, a, a photo op with a meeting with the President of the United States, that was bribery. Donald Trump did both. They're both impeachable. Bribery, in fact, is listed right there in the Constitution among the very few things that constitute impeachable offenses. As I look back, one of the takeaways of the impeachment hearings, again, takeaway I have about everything I read in the newspaper, do facts matter any more in this country at all? Watching what happened and hearing how people are still supporting Donald Trump and the Republican Party is just another example of an egregious bubble Donald Trump and Republican supporters live in. What an alternate reality they inhabit as compared to the reality of facts that the rest of us tend to live in. Yes, reality does indeed have a well-known liberal bias. Um, Do facts matter anymore? One of the real humorous things to come up in the last couple of weeks or so was Donald Trump saying that he might testify in the impeachment hearings. He would be happy to testify. He might consider doing that. Written testimony, of course, if they can manage to work things out, despite the fact that the whole thing is a sham, of course. So Donald Trump says that he might testify. I was asked about this in my classes. I said, the first thing is, do you believe him? What do you think he's going to say? Of course he's going to say, I'd be happy to testify. And then he's going to say, I'm sorry, the Democrats were so evil that they made the situation such that I could not possibly testify. Anybody think that the President of the United States is going to testify? We are reminded of the fact that Donald Trump well, provided some written testimony with respect to the Mueller investigation. We've learned this week that Congress is investigating whether he lied to Mueller in his written responses. Bearing in mind, this is part of the humorous part, that Donald Trump refused to testify in person to Mueller, to the special counsel investigating his Russia ties and Russia's role in the 2016 election, because his lawyers came out and said publicly and said to the special counsel, The man is not capable of giving testimony without lying. If he gives oral testimony to the special counsel, he will commit perjury because he is a pathological liar. So instead, we're going to provide written responses to your questions so that instead of Donald Trump testifying, the lawyers will testify on his behalf. Even with that, apparently, the President of the United States could not avoid committing perjury, reminding us once again that Donald Trump, aside from everything else he needs, needs better lawyers. We were reminded the last couple of weeks of the impeachment hearings just how wide the rot is in the Trump administration. Not that those of us who've been paying attention need any of these reminders. We are reminded how crooked are Donald Trump's cronies. Speaking of Gordon Sondland's reluctant testimony. Again, Gordon Sondland, as a reminder, was the guy who became the ambassador to the EU because he gave Donald Trump a million dollars. Gordon Sondland testified that Donald Trump did the impeachable offenses, but so did many others around him. He brought in Vice President Mike Pence. 
He brought in Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and others, pointing out that the Secretary of State signed off on this and the Vice President signed off on this. The Vice President knew about the apparent link between Ukraine's military aid and the investigations that the President wanted or the announcement of the investigations he wanted. While he was confirming that there was a clear pro quo, he was also confirming how wide the rot really was. Bearing in mind, of course, it's worth noting that both of the people I just mentioned have clear presidential aspirations. And why not? They're the perfect kind of criminals that should be at the top of the Republican ticket. We were reminded over the last couple of weeks while this was going on as Roger Stone, Trump's crony, was convicted of his crimes of witness tampering on behalf of President Trump of how wide the rot actually is. And then, of course, there's Rudy Giuliani. Or, as Fox News would have it, America's mayor. I think he's America's mayor because New York wants no part of him. Giuliani has figured prominently in the news over the last couple of weeks about just how absolutely crooked that son of a bitch actually is. We have hopes that Giuliani will be joining the list of Donald Trump cronies in prison very shortly. We saw that Giuliani was working intensely in back channels outside of the normal process of the United States government. Remember when this was a thing with Hillary Clinton, with her emails? He worked with corrupt Ukrainian prosecutors to oust the ambassador to Ukraine, Yovanovitch. He was actually working with the corrupt Ukraine prosecutors that they're now trying to tie Joe Biden to. And it turns out he was doing all this while he was seeking his own business deals in Ukraine. While all this was going on, while he was representing the President of the United States in back-channel negotiations to benefit the President of the United States at the expense of the United States of America and our allies, he was seeking his own business deals. And now they are all outraged at what Joe Biden didn't do. But, you know, they made up. Maybe he did do or could have done. As George Kent, George Kent, one of the State Department uh, officials who testified in the last couple of weeks, put it in his own testimony, you can't promote principled anti-corruption action without pissing off corrupt people. Referring, obviously, to the entirety of the Trump administration and the people who are handling foreign policy in the United States of, of America. These are the corrupt people this top State Department official was referring to. And then, of course, it was Ambassador Yovanovitch herself with her testimony. Ukrainians who, prefer, and this is a quote, Ukrainians who preferred to play by the old corrupt rules sought to remove me. What continues to amaze me is that they found Americans willing to partner with them and working together, they apparently succeeded in orchestrating the removal of a U.S. ambassador. How could our system fail like that? fail like this? How is it that foreign corrupt interests could manipulate our government? Well, I guess the answer is because of corrupt domestic interests, which comprise our United States government. We're reminded as this goes on, one of my takeaways from the impeachment hearings, of course, is that Trump had really better hope that we don't do to him what he has threatened to do to the whistleblower. Basically, execute him as a traitor because it has become perfectly clear in these 
uh, investigations that Donald Trump has clearly acted as a traitor to the interests of the United States of America. Now, it may not fit the legal definition of what a traitor is. I don't really give a shit. Donald Trump is a traitor, and he has acted as a traitor. And the reminders, again, of how much Donald Trump did that supported the interests of perhaps our number one adversary worldwide right now, Russia, are remarkable. Here's Fiona Hill, our top Russia expert in the National Security Council, accusing Republicans of being traitors. And again, I quote, Based on statements I have heard, some of you on the committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country, and that perhaps, somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. In the course of this investigation, I would ask that you please not promote politically driven falsehood, falsehoods that so clearly advance Russian interests. She said, if the president or anyone else impedes or subverts the national security of the United States in order to further domestic, political, or personal interests, that is more than worthy of your attention. Except Republicans didn't agree with that. And what they tried to do was fight back against the unarguable positions that she stated. Um, <coughs> excuse me again. Among my other takeaways from the impeachment that we really need to focus on, again, is the extent to which the Republican Party continues to be a criminal enterprise masquerading as a political party. We are learning anew every day just how awful this so-called political party actually is. An absolute disgrace. Again, a criminal enterprise masquerading as a political party. Years ago... Congress enacted criminal and civil statutes to try to help America battle the scourge of organized crime. Statutes I'm referring to known as the RICO statutes, civil and criminal. Racketeer influence corrupt organizations designed to go after corrupt organizations like the mob. And it is clear, as I've argued on this show before, it's gotten clearer and clearer. A RICO action should be brought against the Republican Party of the United States of America. And I do not say this lightly. This is a criminal organization. And it's really hard at this point to argue anything but. It has shown throughout the impeachment proceedings especially that it is at war with the United States and its institutions, its freedom of of press and speech, It is doing all of this on behalf of its criminal leader to promote its own partisan advantages, its own success, its own perks, its own wealth, its own power. That is what the Republican Party is. And that's what we should keep referring to it as, the Republican criminal organization. Contrast the way they have behaved during these hearings with the Democrats. Democrats bending over backwards to, uh, to, to show the solemn, solemnity of the occasion, to be professional, to be thorough. With Adam Schiff, the Republicans will attack him all they want, but watch Adam Schiff speak at any point during these proceedings and compare it, let's say, to Jim Jordan or Devin Nunes, the Republicans who featured so prominently.
it is comical, the distinction between the two. Between someone who, to at least some extent, takes seriously his oath of office and a political party that does absolutely absolutely nothing of the sort. Every time the ranking minority member, Devin Nunes, spoke, we were reminded of why Republicans wanted to replace him with someone more serious on the committee. Someone who would at least come across as more serious and less comical while he was lying on behalf of the criminal organization. Every time he had an opportunity to speak before witnesses were speaking, all he did was go on a rant for five minutes attacking United States agencies, the press, our institutions, doing the bidding of Russia and the rest of our adversaries. No questions. It became a joke. Are there going to be any questions in here, Mr. Nunes? Of course not. Because Republicans made it clear that they didn't want any information from any, from any of these witnesses. They had no interest in hearing what these witnesses had to say because they had no interest in reality. They were busy selling a narrative where they win and they get to keep their power. That's all that they were about. That's all they continue to be about. Their defenses, we get to look back again. I've done this at length. But let's go back over the Republican defenses throughout this whole impeachment discussion and investigation and then hearings. Their defenses continue to be unaffected by fact and unaffected by reality. Another reason why they have no interest in hearing from any of the witnesses. We are reminded of the advantages that the Republicans have as a, as a criminal organization by having a base of absolute fucking morons. Being able to speak and, be, and, and represent fucking morons who are too stupid to have any idea what the hell is going on with this country or care allows them to just completely peddle snake oil and things that have been proven to be outright false. The one thing that has always been consistent from the Republicans, while their defenses and their stories have changed, the outright lying has always stayed the same. But let's go back over some of these shifting defenses very briefly and how they were all eviscerated by the witnesses. The first being, of course, that there were no firsthand witnesses. We've talked about this, the the whack-a-mole defense after defense, and they've gone from one to the next, and they had settled on, well, there's no firsthand witnesses, everything is secondhand. Well, it turns out there are firsthand witnesses, and firsthand witnesses testified. Several of them did. But, of course, the comedy here is that to the extent there aren't more firsthand witnesses, it is because the White House has prevented the firsthand witnesses from testifying. In other words, the White House is publicly obstructing the impeachment investigation. This alone is sufficient to impeach the President of the United States. Forget everything else. The fact that there is an impeachment investigation underway and the defendant in that investigation, the president of the United States, has ordered everyone who works for him not to cooperate with that investigation is obstruction of justice. It is impeachable. He should be done for that alone. The idea that we would allow a defendant in a criminal trial to decide who can testify and how that trial will be conducted is, well, again, another indication of the fact that one of our political parties is in fact a criminal organization that has absolutely no interest in the welfare of this country 
or this or this country's founding documents. As Fiona Hill, Dr. Hill, so succinctly put it, I believe that those who have information that the Congress deems relevant have a legal and a moral obligation to provide it. Well, Dr. Hill, with all due respect, the people who work in the Trump administration have no moral obligation to do anything. The absence of morals means the absence of of moral obligation. The White House says that they have no legal obligation. In fact, legally is obligating them not to appear. The Republican tactics continue to be smear, vilify, and endanger. Put people's lives at risk, threaten people publicly, This was, we learned, some of the things that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was doing and allowing to be done with respect to the people in the organization he is sworn to serve, the State Department. The Secretary of State of the United States is finally getting some of the recognition he deserves for being an outright criminal and scumbag. By refusing to stand up for the State Department employees, the people he's representing, supposed to represent, as the Republican criminal organization continues to vilify them, smear them, and endanger their lives. The Republicans now are saying that they're just battling corruption. That's what this is all about. President Trump has wanted to battle corruption. And what's wrong with that? Because after all, the swamp is upset with Donald Trump trying to drain the swamp. And again, this is would be comical, except for the fact that millions of fucking morons are stupid enough to believe this shit. The most corrupt administration and maybe in this, almost certainly in this country's history and one of the most corrupt people in the entire world, Donald Trump, is out there battling corruption. That's what we're supposed to believe. But that was shot down also by testimony. That was shot down by testimony that showed repeatedly that Donald Trump and his administration had absolutely no interest in corruption. One of the interesting facts that came out was how... The talking points in Donald Trump's various calls to the Ukraine president and others all included a discussion of corruption. And never once did the president, as demonstrated by the new transcript of the phone call that he had to release, because his old lie, turns out, was shown to be a lie. At no point did he raise the issue of corruption despite the fact that it was on the talking points. Now, to be fair, he had a lot to talk about in these conversations with the president of Ukraine. Like, for instance, the beauty pageant, the Miss Universe, that Donald Trump did find time to speak about with the president of Ukraine. Republicans are arguing no harm, no foul. They ended up getting the money. They ended up uh, getting a meeting with the president. But again, the facts, turns out, during the hearing didn't support that one either. This was offensive because it is offensive just to begin with that they would argue this. Basically saying, the guy got caught before he could commit a lot of his crimes, therefore no harm, no foul, he didn't do anything wrong. Which is really what they're saying. I mean, literally what they're saying. He got caught trying to commit a crime, therefore no crime. But it turns out that's also not true. The funding was delayed and it was a problem that, that it was delayed. Ukraine knew that it was delayed. America knew that it was delayed. Also, the high-level meeting that the president of Ukraine got anyway 
was an impromptu chat on the side of a UN conference. It was not the Oval Office photo op that the president was dangling to the president of Ukraine. So once again, just outright lies. One of my favorite defenses from the Republicans, of course, is they're, in too, they're too incompetent to be criminal. That's my favorite one. We've talked about this one before. Um, I look at this basically as the 25th Amendment as a defense to impeachment. The 25th Amendment being that the president should be removed from office because he is incompetent. He is unable to fulfill his duties as president of the United States. So I don't care why he's out. Let's, let's throw him out for that one as well. This too incompetent to be a criminal defense also led to some light, humorous, discussable moments here. Donald Trump said in his at one point in his phone call with Gordon Sondland, specifically said, no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo. This, of course, was after Donald Trump, it turns out, we now know, had already been informed that the whistleblower had blown the whistle on him and he was being investigated for this quid pro quid pro quo, which really, of course, was extortion. But what was humorous about this is that Donald Trump was saying no quid pro pro quo while in the very same phone call or text message actually ordering a quid pro quo. Makes it sound like Donald Trump doesn't know what quid pro quo even means, which is possible, except hard to believe since, of course, it's prominent in the sexual harassment context. And you got to figure when it comes to sexual harassment, Donald Trump's pretty conversant with the various uh, nomenclature. Uh, Republican defense, this is, this is maybe the most laughable of all right now, that the Democrats are trying to overturn an election. Attorney General Barr, that criminal, the nation's number one law enforcement officer and criminal, vigorously defended President Trump's use of executive authority and suggested that House Democrats were subverting the will of voters by exploring whether to remove the president from office for abusing his powers. Again, here's the first fun part. Will of the voters. He lost by 3 million votes. As Michelle Goldberg, I think, very succinctly put at a great column this week in the New York Times, um, the Republicans are arguing that the, the in-the-Constitution impeachment should be ignored because of voting because of the in-the-Constitutional Electoral College, which already denies voting and democracy in the first place. But to talk about the will of the voters, again, is just a statement of how unbelievably stupid they think the American public actually is. And I guess we'll find out pretty soon how right they are. The man lost. It is Trump's presidency itself that has subverted the will of the voters. But uh, in any event, um, will of the voters, as I've argued at length, including in our most recent episode on this, everything the GOP does is dedicated to subverting the will of the voters, to, to vote, to suppress votes, because their only chance of being elected to political office is to suppress votes. Donald Trump has reached out to Russia and other foreign countries to undermine U.S. elections. But that doesn't stop them from talking about the will of the voter and democracy in America. This is pathetic. And of course, this whole impeachment was really necessitated and its importance was demonstrated by the fact that what Trump is doing is absolutely seeking to undermine the 2020 election to an even greater extent than he undermined 
2016. Only a criminal organization could with a straight face stand in front of the American people and talk about overturning an election. On the pathetic front, there was the GOP trying to score points by questioning Dr. Hill about Hillary Clinton helping Putin. Remember, it's Hillary Clinton, that's the Russian stooge. By undermining Trump's victory, by having the nerve to point out that the president of the United States had lost the election by three million votes. Of course, it wasn't Hillary Clinton that undermined Trump victory. And it isn't Hillary Clinton who is undermining U.S. democracy and helping Vladimir Putin. No, the Electoral College is what's doing that. In a related note, we now have the majesty of the office defense by Republicans. The majesty of the office. It's sort of a, a good term here because they're trying to make the president a king. Remember when Nikki Haley, our former UN ambassador, was trying to be hailed as the adult in the Trump administration? Why she was trying to pass as kind of an adult in the room and not a complete Trump lackey? Well, Nikki Haley has seen where her future political ambitions lie, and she has gone all in for Trump, showing again what it means to be a standout, to be the least smelly piece of crap in the Republican sewer. This is what passes for an adult in the Republican Party. Haley pointed out how former Chief of Staff uh, Kelly and former Secretary of State Tillerson confided in her that they were resisting the president because they thought they needed to to promote the interests of the United States of America to basically save the country. If they didn't resist the president, people would die, they told her. Miss Haley was very upset by that because she thought it was arrogant that it was their decision, not the president's, that were in the best interests of America, she said. Well, there's some merit to that argument that people in the administration shouldn't be making decisions for themselves, except it ignores the fact that the president of the United States is a fucking incompetent lunatic. And it ignores the reality that people in this administration from the very beginning were being hailed around this country as maybe the adults in the room who would stop this guy from, among other things, setting off nuclear weapons. On CBS News, Haley followed up with that by saying it was a dangerous thing to undermine a president. Really? Because the president is a king? And it goes against the Constitution and it goes against what the American people want. Well, once again, I have to point out Trump's presidency goes against what the American people want, so fuck you, Haley. Also, I want to point out that Congresswoman Haley has had no problem with all the attacks that Donald Trump has made against our institutions, against four congresswomen for being un-American and putting their lives at risk. All the things that he has done to attack the press, our own institutions, our own government, our own State Department, none of those seem to bother Haley or any of the other Republicans making these claims. But gosh darn it, if you attack the king, as the saying goes, you better kill the king. I suppose, although they don't think that we should be killing the king. We're not talking literally killing the king, of course. Anyway, last takeaway from all this. Hooray for bureaucrats. I understand this whole draining the swamp and bureaucrats. I understand that it's de rigueur in the Republican Party to attack our career public servants, bureaucrats. It's a much worse sounding word than using public servants, uh, civil officers, things like that. Um, 
But what a remarkable juxtaposition between our career bureaucrats, our career civil servants, and, well, the Republican Party, our so-called elected leaders, and the president who's vowed to drain the swamp but is only making it swampier. A, a progression of Democratic witnesses that came across as honest, caring about this country, devoting their careers to promote the interests of this country against a political party clearly worried about its own interests and undermining this country for the sake of its own power. The contrast between the witnesses called by the Democrats and the witnesses called by the Republicans, even though the witnesses called by Republicans still undermine Trump, they did so reluctantly, and frankly, witnesses like Sondland did not exactly cover themselves in glory. So, of course, these unassailable witnesses have been assailed by Republicans ever since. And even during, of course. Speaking of impeachment, Donald Trump, while the impeachment hearings were going on, committed an impeachable offense by tampering with Ambassador Yovanovitch in real time during the hearings while she was testifying. He was tampering on Twitter. You just can't make this stuff up. Add that to the list of impeachable offenses. Pressed to give a legal opinion by Republicans about about impeachment. George Kent said, your constitutional obligation is to consider the evidence before you. My obligation was to come here and testify honestly about what I know on behalf of the United States of America. How cute that on any level he thinks that the Republican criminal organization gives the slightest shit about its constitutional obligations. The contrast between the witnesses, also stark. The witnesses who testified, and among others, the ones who won't testify because they're covering up for the president, and most egregiously, the ones who won't testify because there's no money in it. And I want to relate this briefly to our ongoing discussions about how we lionize the wealthy the super wealthy in this country when we should be doing the exact opposite. People like John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, who keeps alluding to the fact that he has all kinds of information and all kinds of testimony to share with the American public about a criminal president and criminal activities on behalf of the United States of America. But he will not do that. And he will not testify unless he is absolutely forced to Mostly because he has a multi-million dollar book deal and he doesn't want to mess up the book deal by spoiling, by giving testimony in Congress. This is almost unimaginable. That this is the patriotism that this guy shows. I don't want to testify because it will cost me money on my huge book deal. This is the guy who has repeatedly been shown to, to have commented that Trump's actions were akin to a drug deal. That he doesn't want to do any of this because there's money to be made. The country is second, money is first. I'm reminded before we go, the the hearings again remind us of the false equivalences that we make throughout our society. The idea that they will come out, the the whole idea that motivated these actions, that 
Trump being the most blatant criminal undoubtedly we've had as president of the United States ever will insulate himself from attacks based on his criminality in the 2020 election by showing, as he did in 2016, Hillary Clinton misused her emails. Therefore, we're all the same. We're corrupt. They're corrupt. Doesn't matter. Let's move on. And that's what the plan was in 2020. We're all criminals because Joe Biden, turns out he made this up. It wasn't even true. Pressured Ukraine on behalf of his son. And therefore, we wipe away all of the extensive criminal behavior that the president of the United States is engaged in. You want to think about false equivalents? Close your eyes for a moment. Think about what Trump has done while he has been the president of the United States for almost three years. Think about what's been brought up just in these hearings. And imagine if President Barack Obama had done this. Does anybody here think President Barack Obama would still be the president? I hate to say this, but does anybody here think President Barack Obama would still be alive? Another reminder that they do not play on a level playing field and the parties are not the same. We have one political party that is corrupted by money and one political party that is nothing but a criminal organization. And we're left with the thought, will Democrats ever learn what they are up against as evidenced by the impeachment hearings and the Republican activities related to those hearings? Will they ever learn what they are up against? Will they ever learn with respect to the upcoming election not to try to play nice with Republicans, not to try to reach out with Republicans? God knows not to reach out for core Republican voters, that they will never get these people, and you do not advance the interests of the United States of America by working with criminals. And a reminder that we are in this situation, that things are this bad in this country, that our government is this dysfunctional, Because this is the way the rich live. Because Republicans in office just want their power and their money. And they figure that there is never any accountability for rich people doing more to get more, regardless of who it hurts. I was in class the other day and I pointed out that To some extent, I think the outrage from Donald Trump about what's happening is actually real. Because Donald Trump has spent his whole life as a rich criminal. And as a rich criminal, that means you don't ever have to be responsible or accountable. And I think it is absolutely inconceivable to the President of the United States that anyone would be concerned about his criminal activities. And there may ever be a price to pay. Let's hope. That's our show for this week. That's my take on impeachment. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 